Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distancer. Thank you so much for your listening. Oh yeah, and the good vibes coming from the most recent episodes of this show. I appreciate it a lot. So the foundation stone upon which this entire podcast is built, well at least this episode, is Catherine's fantastic audio that I will play later on in the show. So we're going to be looking at Ireland and Ireland's response to COVID-19 and compare it to a couple of other places, mainly the UK, but I'm also going to compare it to countries that are roughly the size of Ireland, uh, 5 million population. The difference between the responses, as we know, is, is astonishing, you know, and uh, the sausage doesn't come out very well in it. And we're going to be talking COVID and we're going to be talking paranormal blip. Oh, God, we've got a good paranormal blip. Right, I'm going to put a song in your head. Please forgive me, OK? Forgive me. But here's the song. So I'll tell you later why I've put that song in your head. Please do forgive me. But what I did say just then, I'm going to put a song in your head. Please forgive me. I didn't mean, please forgive me, Brian Adams. Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. That's sunshine. But we're going to start by looking at Boris Johnson, who showed his true colours in remarks to uh, his Tory MPs, who was trying to get him to fucking laugh about, you know, laugh about the situation, you know, laugh about everything, because he's a right laughster, the old sausage. Uh, a couple of hours before this um, meeting with his Tory MPs, he said this to uh, Beth Rigby from Sky. It's Big Rigby, isn't it? Yeah. From Sky. It's like the Beatles, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, this is what he said. This is on the occasion of the first anniversary of the date we went into lockdown, which is the 23rd of March uh, 2020. So this was a couple of days ago. Beth, I certainly think that this is something that we will all remember and be dealing with in different ways for probably, for certainly in my case, for as long as uh, as I live. It's been an extraordinary uh, moment in our in our in our history, in a, a deeply difficult and, and distressing period. Uh, if I look at the uh, the problems that uh, we face, there we go. Then he goes on to look at the problems that we face now. Brilliant. But then a couple of hours later, in this meeting with the MPs. He said, the reason we have the vaccine success is because of capitalism, because of greed, my friends. And then later added, realising, probably not the best fucking idea to say that, that he regrets those comments and, <laughs> and that the um, MPs should forget that he said them. That's good, isn't it? Um, and I think that that is, you know, key to this guy. There's always been this problem in the response, the UK response, where for some reason, some, I mean, it's probably this asshole himself, has decoupled health security and the economy, which is so fucking stupid, right? And it's a, a position that he's in still in relation to putting France on the red list. Um, the argument against that, according to Boris Johnson, is that, um, you know, there's lots of trade done through France. It's unbelievable. This, he, does, he can't get his fucking head around it. He's always the one that says, no, 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 we're not going to lock down. No, 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 we're not going to have a circuit break. He was in hospital with the fucking thing. Everyone thought, oh, he's going to, like, you know, come out of this, Rosie. I think I said at the time, you know, don't bet on it. And here he is, uh, February the 3rd, 2020. This is infamous as well, but let's put it in the show to, just to give you a bit of uh, context, as he would say, uh, in terms of where this guy's uh, passion lies. Yep, he, His passion is basically to make uh, as much money as he can for his friends. And COVID-19 has been a massive success for that. You know, millions and millions and millions of pounds funneled 
into the back pockets and the bank accounts of many of the friends of the people in the cabinet and people that are like utterly incompetent being promoted, people with no experience whatsoever being put in positions of, uh, you know, responsibility. It's a fucking joke. And it all comes back to this incredibly telling uh, moment in a speech he was giving uh, to called Unleashing Britain's Potential. <laughs> fucking hell. I mean, it is so, you know, well, it is funny. I was going to say, if it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny. But it is both tragic and funny, you know. And when there is a risk that new diseases such as coronavirus will trigger a panic and a desire for, for market segregation that go beyond what is medically rational to the point of doing real and unnecessary economic damage, then, at that moment, humanity needs some government somewhere that is willing at least to make the case powerfully for freedom of exchange. Some country ready to take off its Clark Kent spectacles and leap into the phone booth and emerge with its cloak flowing as the supercharged champion of the right of populations of the earth to buy and sell freely among each other. And here in Greenwich in the... There you go, he goes on there as well. It's unbelievable, and it really all does come back to that, you know. It's all about the bants, it's all about just kind of thinking off the cuff and trying to entertain people, which is fantastic. If you're a journalist who isn't particularly interested in, like, telling the truth and, you know, actually sourcing the bullshit that you write, because he was sacked for telling lies in journalism, you know, that's fine. If you're a MP, even, who doesn't give a fuck about, you know, having an affair. And when your uh, head of the party says, did you or did you not? And you say no, and you lied, and you're sacked for it, which is what happened to Boris Johnson. doesn't really matter because you're just an MP for a couple of thousand people. But when you are the Prime Minister, then it really fucking matters. And 149,000 deaths later, it really matters. So let's go back to March again. And we've got Jenny Harries. Jenny Harries has just been uh, awarded lovely job as the chief executive of a new agency. I mean, this is like it is like satire in real life. New UK health security agency to lead response to future health threats. Right. Who do you think we should choose to run that? I mean, it's a big job. Somebody that's totally on it in terms of, you know, how to take care of yourselves during uh <laughs> a um a fucking virus that goes from one person to another through you know breathing on each other oh what about that person that told people not to wear masks oh yeah i mean seems a bit weird that she said that let's go back now um where when's this march the 11th right here she is Tell us about the value of wearing face masks. You see face masks around the place. Is there any point to that? If a healthcare professional hasn't advised you to wear a face mask, it's usually quite a bad idea. People tend to leave them on. Uh, they contaminate the, the face mask and then wipe it over something. So it's really not a good idea and doesn't help. However, if you are a patient and you've been diagnosed with symptoms uh, with coronavirus, then uh, it, you may be provided with a face mask then. And that's a good thing. You're protecting other people in so there we go it's really not a good idea i mean if you're a patient if you've got covid19 yeah it's, then it becomes a good idea to put the face mask on you know but if it's not it's not a good idea she literally said it's not a good idea and then the next day she had a little so this is uh, march the 12th now she had a little um section on the bbc where she was uh, answering questions live on bbc news and this question came up for the average member of the public wandering down the street, this is really not a good idea. Uh, what tends to happen is people will have one mask. You can imagine they don't wear it all the time. They'll take it off when they get home. They'll put it down on a surface that they haven't cleaned. Or they'll be out and they haven't washed their hands. They'll go and have a cup of coffee somewhere. They half hook it off. They'll wipe something over it. They'll put it back off. And in fact, you can actually trap the virus in the mask and then start breathing in. So, so they could be putting... 
putting themselves more at risk well, by wearing it a, just, a mask than it not. just doesn't it so yes because of this issue of um if you like behavioral issues which are really important when we're talking about infectious diseases people tend can in fact adversely put themselves at more risk mm. than less yeah there we go adversely put yourself at more risk than less it is not a good idea quote is not a good idea to wear a mask unbelievable and talk about behavior um you know behaviors and how to uh, inform people about best behavior and the most appropriate behavior in terms of not spreading covid19 well where is that where is our version of the three c's that has worked so well in japan which is very clear you know three c's don't go into closed spaces crowded places or close contact settings i mean it couldn't be clearer yep avoid those three things and if uh, and make sure that none of those things merge that's when it becomes really bad and remember ventilation and fucking disinfectant everything you know and you know you can't go a hundred meters down any uh, high street in the uk without coming across hand sanitizer. So the idea that you're spreading COVID-19 by being mucky with your mask, like it's not that fucking difficult. I mean, I know that I've you know, spent hours literally on this point, but it is incredible that that fucking idiot has, is now in charge. I mean, you couldn't make it up. She is the one that is now in charge of the government, new government agency that is set up specifically to prepare for threats in the future. I mean, it's an utter, utter joke. One, two, three, four. Can I have a little more? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I love you. A, B, C, D. Can I bring my friend to T? E, F, G, H, I, J. I love you. Boom, 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 boom. Sail the ship. Boom, boom, boom. Chop the tree. Boom, boom, boom. Skip the rope. Boom, boom, boom. Look at me. All together now. 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 Black, white, green, red. Can I take my friend to bed? Pink, brown, yellow, orange, and blue. I love you. All together now. All together now. All together now. All together now. concerted effort, an ongoing effort to uh, distract people from the ridiculousness of the COVID-19 response, um, the government and their friends in the right-wing uh, media, the fucking tabloids, and, and a couple of other, like, you know, the Telegraph does this all the time, they're interested in stoking up a kind of Trump-like uh, culture war in the UK. And I'm talking about this because it, there's very serious implications in terms of uh, race and racism in Britain. 
So uh, this week we've had a particularly ridiculous uh, kind of little chapter of all this bullshit in relation to flags and flying the fucking union flag. The BBC, the chief of the BBC was criticised for uh, by some fucking toy MP for not having a union flag in their annual report. I mean, fucking ridiculous. But the main story is around Charlie uh, State. So there's a, a Good Morning Britain I've spoken to, uh, I've spoken about a little bit, which is the morning uh, television show in the United Kingdom on ITV. But the BBC version of that is called Breakfast. I think it's just called Breakfast. And it's a bit more kind of BBC-ish. But it's got the more viewers. It's got the more viewers. So there's various presenters of this breakfast show. And uh, two of them is Naga Manchetti and Charlie State. Now, Naga Manchetti, she's a journalist who works across the BBC. She's got a very good uh, radio program on BBC Radio 5 Live. She's got a panorama show on at the moment that was on TV a couple of days ago and it's on iPlayer still about race and the UK and she comes from a particular perspective on the um, uh, BBC News website she's got an accompanying uh, article that she wrote about her panorama uh, show and quoting from that I grew up in South London my dad was from Mauritius and my mum was from India both were nurses they too received racial insults at work and then she goes on to describe um, to describe that so Charlie State right he's talking to this fucking like arsehole <laughs> uh, Robert Jenrick okay who's the housing minister and it's unbelievable like th th there's this weird thing that happens whenever any Tory is interviewed on the television there's always a fucking union flag in the back of their like at the back of the shot right it doesn't make sense you know and this guy has got this massive union flag at the back of the shot next to a picture hanging on the wall of the queen i mean it's it's a joke so charlie as any good like you know just the normal person would do takes the piss out of it and here he is Robert Jenrick, uh, thank you. I think your uh, flag is not up to standard size uh, government interview uh, <laughs> measurements. I think it's just a little bit small, but uh, that's your department, really. Just a thought. The picture of the queen. The picture. You, uh, you'll the be picture, aware that you'll be aware that every, every time we have it, we, we've seen it every day, haven't we? There's, it's, it's, it's a stock. Always a flag thing, isn't it? Always a flag. Add the picture of the queen there as well, though, in the Westminster office. I'm assuming. There we go. So, <laughs> and you can see they're all just like laughing, like you know, this fucking bozo turns up with his ridiculous flag, and uh, there's Naga there talking about the picture of the queen as well. And of course, they came under a massive amount of criticism for this. And they were literally like formally spoken to by the BBC, basically told off. Hugh Edwards came to, who's a very high profile um, BBC news reporter and anchor. Um, he, he, he put a, he was basically just taking the piss, you know. So like in one area, it's all, you know, good fun, all satire and blah, 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 blah. But there is a kind of serious side of it, obviously, you know, in the context of where we are, as I spoke about, you know, a couple of episodes ago, where we are as a as a country. You know, we're not in a good place as a country. Like, as an example, Robert Jenrick, uh, following that interview, he then put up a photograph of, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous on Twitter. He put a photo of this massive flag next to the uh, fucking pic, like the photograph of the Queen, and uh, wrote this comment. Uh, We're always proud to fly the Union flag at, uh, at MHCLG. I don't know what that means, but the Ministry of Housing and other things. Uh, it's a symbol of liberty and freedom that binds the whole country together. All right, fine. 
so that's great 29 point nine thousand people liked that but you know eleven thousand people uh, critiqued it or if you like kind of answered back if you like and of course a part of that idea of uh, holding it together well it works if you've got you know actual uh, lessons in the classroom that talk about contemporary life in Britain we don't have that it works it binds people together if you've got actual equality we don't have anything like equality you know time and time again we've spoken about the inequality that Covid has exposed in this country that it doesn't bind anything together at all what it does is it divides people into these very simple uh, groups you know it, on one side is people that say let's embrace the flag let's shag the flag they're known as flag shaggers locally and on the other side you've got people that think well it's actually a bit more complex than just waving a fucking symbol in the air you know and we need to look at the multiplicities here we need to look at the complexities here and part of that is to be allowed to take the piss out of this fucking stuff This does give us an opportunity to take a look at Ireland in some detail. So this is the Republic of Ireland I'm talking about here, obviously. So they've got lockdown. They call it Level 5. Level 5 is in place now. Level 5 restrictions apply to all counties until the 5th of April 2021, which isn't too far away, is it? No, it's in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Stay at home except for work, education or other essential reasons, which are care-related mainly, and to exercise within five kilometres of your home. And that's very interesting. So similar to, you know, the um, uh, restrictions across the UK, five kilometres of your home. Work from home unless um, you can't, unless you're part of an essential service. And uh, schools are open except for the first to fourth year post-primary students and it's planned that those students will return from the 12th of April so but the vast majority not the vast majority but the majority of school children are going to school in um, Ireland uh, childcare is closed except for services for vulnerable children children of essential workers and children on a particular scheme so that's similar to you know lockdown in the early days before schools opened uh, more widely in the UK. Um, bars, cafes and restaurants are closed. Only essential retail is open. Construction work is closed with some exceptions. And there are restrictions to travel. So Ireland does have a red list. But on their red list of countries where you can't come into Ireland from is... Does that make sense? Yeah. There's only 33 countries on that list. So that's even worse than our bloody list, which is fucking bollocks, isn't it? And you remember how many was there in Japan? Was it 155, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. So deaths in Ireland from COVID-19, 4,628. Um, deaths in Japan, uh, 8,929. That's gone up from when I recorded, you know, the Japan section roughly a week ago. Uh, it's gone up by um, about 250, roughly. Um, so, you know, less less deaths than um, than Japan. But of course, the population is tiny compared to Japan. Japan, 126 million. Ireland, 5 million. Yep. So, you know, absolutely tiny compared to Japan's population. Cases, 232,000. Uh, in the UK, just to remind everyone, we've had 4.3 million cases, and that's confirmed cases. And you can, uh, like I said last week, add on at least a couple of other hundred thousand, good couple of other hundred thousand onto that, because we weren't testing anyone apart from people that were coming into the hospitals during the first wave. So, you know, you could probably add on a million comfortably onto that at least at the very least you know i mean who knows how many millions of people have had it in the uk um and of course when, when you're dealing with numbers like that you know 4.3 million 
you can comfortably say add on a couple of million and I know that that's what John uh, Campbell has said Dr John Campbell has said you know basically you can double it you know um, and in the United States as well they've got 30 million confirmed cases and at the moment in the United States they've got 545,000 deaths to COVID-19 going up every every day obviously um, in the UK you keeping up with this I'm not doing it in any kind of way that will help you to keep up with it but I'll try <laughs> in the UK the deaths are 126,000 so just comparing at the moment and that is the you know I refer you to last week for the reason why I'm, I'm uh, using that figure but we know now I mean we do know that it's 149,000 people with COVID-19 on the death certificate. But just comparing Ireland to the UK, the UK has got over 27 times more deaths uh, than Ireland, okay? The population isn't 27 times more, is it? No. 5 million is the population. 27 times 5 is... Uh, 135 yeah 135 so we don't have 135 million in the UK we've got 69 million haven't we or something like that 68 or something so you know I mean that's even higher than the population of Japan yeah uh, Japan has so let's compare now Ireland to Japan Ireland their deaths are 400 uh, sorry 4628 uh, in Japan, the deaths are 8,929. So that's basically, you know, double. Yep, double. But their population is 25 times more. So, you know, this, uh, again, it shows you how, um, relative to the UK, Ireland has done brilliantly. But relative to Ireland, Japan has done brilliantly, you know. And of course, the reason for that is because Ireland is suffering and has suffered since uh, January from the UK variant, the Kent variant. There's the reason why um, we've got the third wave in, you know, various countries. And exactly the, when it hit us, it hit Ireland. And now it's hitting um, France and Germany and, you know, loads of other countries on mainland Europe just a couple of months later. Let's take a look at vaccines first of all. They've um, passed, uh, well actually they're doing pretty well in terms of uh, the vaccine rollout in, the, uh, in Ireland. Uh, 680,000 vaccinations, that's uh, you know one dose and two doses. The total number of doses given is 680,000. Uh, that's roughly about 15%, roughly about 15% of uh, cases. Uh, sorry, of, of people vaccinated, the population vaccinated. So how does that compare to countries that also have uh, roughly 5 million people living there? Well, uh, Denmark is, it's all roughly the same. Like Denmark's a little bit ahead, um, but it's all roughly the same. You know, Denmark, Finland, Panama, um, it's got the same population, but they've actually been struck very badly by COVID-19 and they're not vaccinating uh, as quickly as Ireland, Denmark and Finland. The United Kingdom obviously is, um, you know, way ahead um, and the vaccine has been a big success and the, and the United States is up there as well um, just because, I, I mean, the only reason I'm talking about the United States is because I've got listeners in the United States, you know, so they might be a bit interested if I bloody mention how they're doing at the moment. They've got rough, coming up to 40% of the population vaccinated, which is fantastic. And we know that that is, um, you know, the Biden administration at work. So that's vaccinations. But if you look at deaths, how Ireland compares to, um, so this is per population, yep. How Ireland compares to countries roughly of, of the same size well it's um got double the death rate of denmark uh finland has got a tiny death rate compared to like you know everywhere japan as we know has got a tiny um death rate um and then you know new zealand and singapore 
they have got comparable uh, populations, roughly 5 million. And, you know, Singapore and New Zealand, I mean, they have just had such an incredible success in terms of avoiding death. And it comes back to, you know, the, the fact is Ireland is so close to the UK. And I was talking to Joanna in Scotland uh, yesterday and we were saying the same thing about Scotland. Well, she was saying the same thing about Scotland, you know. Um, it's basically, the, the closer you get to the sausage, the worse you're going to fucking be, you know. And people in Downing Street all got COVID-19. Do you know what I mean? He got it himself. And he's just radiating out his bullshit. And the closer you get to him, the worse you're going to be. So even in countries near England, uh, like uh, having the effect of, and thanks to the Kent variant, now like, you know, mainland Europe is being, you know, uh, having uh, a bad time because of the Kent variant. So there is a big Sausage Johnson effect here when you look at the numbers. When you look at the numbers, the further away from um, Sausage Johnson, the better you are in terms of um, uh, response to COVID-19. It also, it doesn't help if you're run by a fucking psychopath during... Thank God that guy is out of office. Christ almighty. But just, you know, getting it, laying it down, laying down the line here. Um, Cumulative confirmed COVID-19 deaths per million people. On the board here, and this is our worldindata.org I'm using. On the board here, we've got the United Kingdom, the United States, Panama, which has got a, a population of roughly 5 million, Ireland, Denmark, Finland, Japan, New Zealand and Singapore. Okay, so they've all got populations of roughly 5 million. Okay, there's obviously differences. You know, Ireland is closer to uh, Britain, obviously. Panama is closer to Brazil, where Brazil, it's like, you know, off the scale in terms of the Brazilian variant, which is, you know, a nasty piece of work, you know. And cases in Brazil, by the way, have tripled this year. So it's very, very bad situation in Brazil. Let's just put Brazil in on this uh, here, just so we can, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, interestingly, even when you add Brazil, per, because they've got such a big population, per population, per population, there's 212 million people in Brazil, right? So per population, the United Kingdom is on top. Okay, congratulations, Sausage Johnson. That's brilliant. There's more people per population dying in the United Kingdom than in any other country on this board. The United States, Brazil, Panama, Ireland, Denmark, Finland, Japan, New Zealand, and Singapore. And so for countries roughly the size of uh, Ireland, you know, Ireland uh, are not doing very well. Basically, they're not doing very well. Compared, though, to the United Kingdom that they're next to, Ireland are doing very well. Yep. So it's a very difficult position that Ireland, geographically, that Ireland has found itself in. Now, I could, I would say that they're doing very well on the, um, you know, on the vaccine front. You know, 15% isn't to be stiffed at compared to lots and lots of other countries. But I would also say that they need to tighten their fucking borders, like 33 countries. Like, obviously, Brazil is on that list. But the big risk of countries like the UK and Ireland is that a variant comes in that we don't have... Um, you know, the safeguards against with the vaccine that is in more and more of our bodies, you know, and that's and it's it's very difficult to um, decipher uh, Sausage Johnson's comments a couple of days ago where he said that there is going to be a third wave lapping on our shores and basically, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, it's unbelievable that he says this, these kind of things, you know. And then Witty is saying, oh, yeah, um, oh, it's, it is inevitable that we're always going to have this. Like, there's, this, there's a deep uh, d divide between some countries that have, you know, gone through SARS, who have said, like, this is a killer. 
we need to eliminate it as best we can, okay? As best we can. And there's an article in The Guardian at the moment about Thai, Taiwan and how Taiwan has done that. And basically, they've never had a lockdown and they've managed to be, I mean, talk about success. They've had 10 deaths. It's unbelievable. 10 deaths, just a thousand documented cases, right? But they've got 22 million people living there, okay? So it's not just some, you know, tiny little country with just fields and more sheep than people like um, New Zealand, okay? It's uh, it's obviously near China, do you know what I mean? So there's no question that it's, it all goes back to Jenny Howie's. It all goes back to the early days when the bloody scientists were giving the wrong information to a man who's sense and his whole kind of passion is to do with you know making money and buying and selling right he's like fine if you want to be you know a guy working at a fucking market stall that's great but if you're going to be uh like making jokes and you know doing the fucking sexist jokes and the racist jokes to your other market stall nutters that's fine but if you're going to be the prime minister then obviously there's going to be repercussions, you know? Repercussions! Right, so here is Catherine's audio. Hi, Pete. Um, I think it's nearly been a year since I last did a, an interview with you about the start of the pandemic last year. Um, looking back, what changes have there been? Well, we're still in lockdown here in Southern Ireland. Um, but I think people are probably finding it a little bit harder than last year because we kind of thought it might just be a, a passing thing that wouldn't last too long. But here we are, well over a year later, and um, yeah, the, things are pretty much the same as in the whole lockdown situation. Um, the vaccines have been rolled out here. I've actually had two, both of the vaccines, um, because I work in arts and health. Um, the first wasn't too bad. The second was a little bit... Um, just had, yeah, a little bit feverish, just wasn't feeling great, but it passed really quickly and um, it's good to have it over with. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's very hard for young people um, with school and uh, exams. Um, the, the online schooling is definitely suiting some people more um the classroom situation but then there are other students who are really struggling so it's it's i think it's very difficult for teachers then to find a one size fits all um approach but um generally yeah people are getting on with it i i, I don't know about the the education system over there but here the junior search which is the equivalent to the gcse's um, has been cancelled and the leaving search which is equivalent to your a levels has um well, the, the students have been given an option. Um, they can either do the leaving cert at a later date or they can get predicted grades from their teachers, much like um, last year. So um, that's where that is. Um, and I suppose it's very hard for older people or people who live on their own as well who might have a great support network um, because of the whole cocooning, isolation. Um, but I think the government here are just yeah, trying to kind of extend it as long as they can to get it right so we're not going into lockdown, out of lockdown, into lockdown. I don't know if you can hear at the moment, but there's definitely a bird's nest up near the top of my house because I can hear them chirping away. I think the pandemic has a devastating effect, or has had a devastating effect on, on the arts um, scene in Ireland and for arts workers, because obviously um, everything has shut down in terms of live performance and that can be very difficult. Um, and even kind of other freelance work, um, you know, isn't um, able to happen at the moment. And I think that when this is all over, you know, people will need a lot of cheering up because it's kind of taken its toll. You can really notice that this time around, you know, I think this time last year we were kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, it won't, we'll, if we all kind of do our best, we'll come out of it fairly soon, but um, that's not the case. And then I suppose when you look at history, 
history of pandemics that you know it does take a number of years to, to come out the other side. Yeah, I've enjoyed kind of reading books and um, watching documentaries. I'm not really one for TV, but I am prone to the odds documentary overload. Um, and yeah, <laughs> not to uh, continue to eat like it's um, Christmas time and try and minimise the amount of chocolate that comes into the house, especially coming up to Easter, because yeah, sometimes it's like one long extended Christmas, but not the nice side of Christmas. The side after where you just can't wait to take all the decorations down and get back to normal and you're trying to figure out what day it is. There have been lots of changes here um, for people and possibly quite the same as, as, as everywhere else maybe. Uh, you see a lot more people out on bicycles, out walking, um, just I suppose it's getting needing to get out of the house because with the lockdown it can feel a bit like being in a, in a cocoon almost like that kind of no man's land uh, around christmas where everyone's like what day is it what year is it <laughs> who am i um so yeah I, I think yeah some people are managing quite well but it's it's very difficult for people to live alone i think particularly older people in the community um but yeah there's, there's been lots of really positive initiatives and people looking out for people which which is great i think as you get older you enjoy life more i think you know i don't know the simple things now i understand my grandparents my grandchildren love grandparents because they take the time to walk by river banks or to look at flowers and you know really take it all in i feel as you get older living in the present is, is a little bit easier maybe not for everyone i suppose it depends on your personality but I definitely um, appreciate things in life in a different way now than I did when I was younger. Thank you so much, Catherine, for sending that through. It's much appreciated. Brilliant to hear your voice. And we're going to have a couple of these, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to have people contributing, past contributors. My brother and a couple of friends of mine are sending their audio in as we speak. So let's take a look now at the triangle. We're talking about cases, R and deaths, because it's that relationship where that we kind of have to think of the R and also cases uh, differently because the vaccine is so successful in the UK. So firstly, cases, since the 25th of uh, February, so roughly four weeks ago, um, it's been steady under 7,000 Roughly 5,000, between five and 6,000. A couple of days, it's uh, lower than that, but it hasn't got above 7,000 for the last four weeks, okay? But, but in that time, the seven-day rolling average for the deaths has gone down, okay? So on the 25th of February, it was 250 a day. 250 deaths a day uh, over the seven days, like, you know, previous to that and now it is 75 a day so that's a big difference like a fucking big difference yep of course we're, I'm using the seven day average because it obviously gives an average over the seven days because you know we all know about you know at the weekend you don't get as many deaths reported as you do um, you know the middle of the of the weekdays the weekdays and then we've got the R so the R is going up in the UK and uh, last week, it was reported, the end of last week, it was reported that it is uh, roughly one. But there's a kind of big, uh, what do they call it? Is it a confidence interval? I think they call it that. So it's basically 0.7 to 1.3. So there's a big variation and you're going to find a variation like that as, you know, deaths fall and as cases fall as well, obviously you you know, it's kind of, it's less in the community. So there's lots of question marks about that. And interestingly about, uh, on that, the COVID app as well, you've got to be quite wary looking at the day-to-day -day, um, uh, figures on the COVID app. And they've actually changed the way that they uh, assess and, uh, you know, publish their figures 
very recently, like this week, they went to a seven-day rolling average, and they, I think, they're going to uh, maybe go regional. So at the moment, you can go kind of by local authority, which is quite local. You know, there's whatever it is, 200 local authorities, 150 local authorities in England. Um, but as cases disappear locally, then they might have to go regionally, you know, and kind of, so everything is, because it's all estimates, obviously, you know, if there's not much in the community, the estimate isn't going to be as precise as when there's loads and loads of data coming in because there's so many people being tested and all the rest of it, okay? So although the R is going up, it's not necessarily something totally to worry about that much because the R has been dropping so much and deaths are still going down, hospital admissions are still going down as well in the UK. But I'm talking about the triangle, not the fucking square. So I'm not going to add hospital admissions to this because then it'd be a square, wouldn't it? Yes. So now let's take a look at Israel. Israel has um, given both doses to the vac- of the vaccine to 50% of their population. 55% of their population has had one dose. So it's very good. And, that, and this has been in the system for quite a long time. So they're quite, quite way ahead of the UK. We've got 50% in, of the adult population. I think it's 52% now, actually, um, having one dose. But there's a very small percentage of people in the UK who have had two doses. And because we've lengthened that time in order to get as many people as possible to have the one dose, you know, it's still going to be, you know, the end of May, something like that, when, you know, the majority of the people that have had the one dose then get the then get the second dose. So we're going to be looking at Israel just because they're a bit kind of further on than us, if you like. So first of all, looking at cases in Israel, they had a big peak in January. I mean, quite... Um, you know, a worrying peak in January where they had many, many um, cases. So this is Israel. It's got a population of 8.7 million. And they've had, overall, they've had 6,154 deaths and 830,000 cases. So, and the, the cases really did peak in January and so did the deaths as well, um, you know, kind of rel- relative to their uh, their experience with COVID-19, obviously, not relative to the UK or the US or, you know, plenty of other countries. So we're talking about the peak was 101 deaths registered on the 20th of January. Yep. So, I mean, you know, it's low compared to other places, obviously, but also they do have um, under 9 million people living in uh, Israel. So, we, so, but the deaths have gone down. They've gone down quite dramatically over the last couple of months from that high at the uh, end of January. And they're continuing to go down, even though because of the success with the vaccine, they have uh, unlocked, you know, they basically the lockdown ended uh, a long time ago now. And so there's a difference between uh, the third wave and the second wave. Um, We're now 40 days after, or something like, what, 42, 43 days after the um, end of the lockdown following the third wave in Israel. And the R number has never been lower. The R number is going down all the time. So basically Israel is getting rid of COVID-19, which is fantastic. It probably won't eliminate it, obviously, but it's getting to the stage now in Israel where the R is 0.55, never been as low as that, corresponds to a 65% weekly decline in daily cases. So that really tells you that, you know, if you get on top of the vaccination, the cases uh, ease off, the deaths fall, and then the R will fall. And we know that the R, you know, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Of course, if all the kids go back after a lockdown, the R is going to go up. And that's kind of predictable that the R goes up. But it's less to worry about now 
um, than it was in November, say, or like, you know, in October, yeah, because of the vaccination. And it's like vitally important that people get vaccinated as quickly as possible because it makes a massive difference on that triangle relationship. And that little bit of the show is dedicated to Wizbit and Bad Bit. Remember Bad Bit? Yeah, was his name Bad Bit? I think so, yeah. Which is basically Wizbit, it looked exactly like Wizbit, but it was had a. Was it a robot? I think so, yeah, probably. There usually is in children's. Tele- so many robots. It was, just looked exactly like Wizbit, but with um, Liam Gallagher's eyebrows. Remember Bad Bit? Oh, yeah, beautiful. Episode 216. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. Take care of yourselves. Thank you so much, Catherine, for sending in your fantastic uh, contribution. Yeah, contribution. And now we're going to be thinking of the Border Collie. Not just any old doggy, but the cleverest doggy there ever was and ever will be. And this doggy is so clever it can sniff out coronavirus. And there's a whole bunch of other breeds as well. You probably know this. Certainly the German Shepherd is up there. Yeah. Anyway, one, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Wear a mask. Social distance. Don't let any bastard breathe on you. Open the bloody window, please. And uh, wash your hands. Yeah, that one. Uh, Paranormal Blip is a great episode coming up next. Oh, it's fantastic. What a week. What a week. Take care. Thanks for listening. See you later. Well, that music can only mean that this is the latest episode of Paranormal Blip. And today I'm going to be talking about a film that I saw that I thoroughly recommend. If you're interested in UFOs in any way then please do watch this movie. It's called The Phenomenon. It's uh, made by a documentary filmmaker called James Fox. And he's working with some of the big dogs in the world of uh, ufology, if that's the word. Jack Vallée is in this film. Um, George Knapp is in this film. And Jack Vallée kind of collaborated on shaping the the film as well it took this guy uh, Fox years and years to make this and it's really really good I got it off um, YouTube for I rented it for £3.50 I think so not a lot of money but if you can and if you want to uh, you can buy it and if you buy it get it on iTunes or Vimeo and apparently there's three hours worth of extra footage there so there's two amazing things about this movie um, that I didn't know in this in such detail um, before I watched it okay so I'm gonna bloody tell you it if you don't want to watch the film you don't need to but if you are interested in it then I do recommend that you do watch it because it's very well put together I mean it's actually brilliantly put together um, kind of chronicle of the UFOs way back from 1947 to now now, now, now. <laughs> um, right, so two things which are incredible. Number one, they've got Jack Valet 
in Silicon Valley working with a guy called Dr. Gary Nolan. Now, Gary Nolan is a Stanford microbiologist. He's a, you know, proper dude, yeah, like a proper genius guy. And he is um, trying to work out the isotopes of metamaterials. They have got that on film. They've got the metamaterials on film. I didn't know that this, uh, the phenomena, this film had that footage. And it was amazing to see it. Like, it's a brilliant uh, moment in the film. And basically, the upshot is, is that the materials of these these alloys, the kind of the uh, metamaterials, so Gary Nolan calls them ultra materials, you can't then they're not of this world basically like they don't exist on this world they don't have the isotopes that we have they don't work in the same like elementary uh like they're not part of the periodic table do you know what i mean so it is like you know jaw-dropping stuff and gary nolan's idea is that he's going to somehow try to what he wants to do is make something using this material so there's only little tiny little fragments of it you see some of it I mean I think quite a lot of it with Jean Valet and I've spoken about this in the past with Valet I think he's kind of um, agreed to say certain things and share certain things uh, in agreement with the US government and maybe other governments as well but definitely the US government and Lou Alessandro is the same, yeah? Lou Alessandro is this guy that was, up until a couple of years ago, like very recently, uh, in charge of the kind of the US government's um, investigation into the UFO phenomena, yeah? And a couple of years ago, he stopped doing that job and he came out publicly and he said, I'm going to talk to you about this. And there are certain things that he says very openly. He says, well, listen, I've signed a non-disclosure agreement and I know the things that I can say and I know the things that I can't say. And whenever he is asked a question by a journalist, he'll just very openly say, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't talk about that. So it's quite open about that. And um, this, interestingly, this metamaterials um, area is one of the areas that they're a bit kind of hush-hush about. So I was really interested to see actual footage of the metamaterials. Like, incredible. UFOs come along, they crash, and they, you know, smash up or little bits fall off them or whatever. And they are then collected by, you know, the army or whoever's around, like, you know, the US government. And everything is kind of kept, obviously. And it looks like Jacques Vallée, for whatever reason, he's got some... I think he's probably working with, you know, organizations, corporations, like, you know, private corporations, but also governments as well, who are interested in, like, getting to the bottom of what is this? You know, what is this? So that was really good. And the other fascinating thing is this section about the ability of UFOs to basically turn on and turn off um, nuclear weapons, like at will, which is kind of terrifying, you know? And throughout, you get this very good sense that from the, you know, World War II, we had the Foo Fighters. Yeah, you know the Foo Fighters? There was basically UFOs that were seen by the Allies. They were kind of, at the time, thought, well, is this like Nazi technology or what is this, you know? And then 1947, there's a massive amount of activity in the states leading up to 1952 the washington flap which i talked about in the first episode of paranormal blip and then ever since then there has been a concerted effort to collect as much information as possible and now we're at the point where we can uh you know get footage capture footage um from uh, jet fighters that are called out to investigate sometimes. And the very good example of this is the Tic Tac. Um, David Fravor, fascinating story that, right? So this week has been really interesting. Everything changed in December 2017 when the New York Times made a front page news story 
about the ongoing investigations in the US government. Okay, and that meant, obviously, because it's the New York Times, it meant that other news organisations were less shy about covering all of this stuff, yeah? And so this week has been a really interesting uh, week in terms of UFO kind of in the mainstream media. Uh, Lots of people picked up an interview that this guy, I think his name is Ratcliffe, who used to be Trump's uh, national intelligence chief, former National Intelligence Director, John Ratcliffe. He gave an interview and it's been picked up a lot. So this is one of the things that he said. First of all, it's the reporter. I'm not sure what her name is. Oh, Kaylee, Kaylee McEnany. That's a funny name, isn't it? Kaylee McEnany? Oh, no, that's uh, coming up later. Kaylee McEnany, she used to be Trump's um, spokesperson, didn't she? Right, this is fucking Fox News, right? Bloody Trump, Trump, Trump. Anyway... You know, the Trump guy spoke to Fox. This is what he said. Have unidentified flying objects been seen? Well, sure. We we have uh, lots of reports about what we call uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. And this actually... Um, is a program that's been in place for a few years in terms of a task force that that has been uh, there under the National Defense Authorization Act. But as you correctly point out, Maria, there's now a report that will be issued by the by the Pentagon, uh, by the Secretary of Defense and the Director of National Intelligence. I actually wanted to get this information out and declassified before I left office, but we weren't able to get it down into an uh, an unclassified format that we could talk about uh, quickly enough. But but frankly, there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. Some of those have been declassified. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about objects that have been seen by Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that, um, frankly, um, engage in actions that are difficult to explain, that um, movements that uh, that are hard to replicate, that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that you know exceed the sound barrier without a, a sonic boom. So, in short. Um, things that we are observing that are difficult to explain. Um, And so, uh, you know, there's actually quite a few of those. And I think that that information is being gathered and will will be put out um, in a way that the American people can see. We always, when we we see these things, Maria, we always look for a a plausible explanation. You know, weather can cause disturbances, visual disturbances. Sometimes we wonder whether or not our adversaries have technologies um, that are a little bit further down the road than we thought or that we realized. But there are instances where we don't have good explanations for some of the things that we've seen. And, um, you know, when that information becomes declassified, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. So that's absolutely fascinating, obviously. I mean, really interesting. And of course, there are like there's a whole bunch of people that try to get away with it, pull the wool over people's eyes in any regard, in any uh, area of this. So, for instance, in reincarnation, you know, the guy that spent his life traveling around, speaking to people, listening to their reincarnation stories, most of them, the vast majority of them was just bullshit, obviously. Yeah. But five to 10 percent of them weren't bullshit. In fact, five to 10 percent of them, there was enough evidence for you to think, well, in any other area of science, you would say this is happening. And the reason why they're not saying it's happening in terms of reincarnation is because of just like, you know, prejudging the the thing and it's got stigma around it. You don't want to go around. You don't want to get yourself covered in the bloody stigma, do you? It's much easier to take the piss out of it. George Knapp is brilliantly explains this all the time. He says it's easy to take make a joke about tinfoil hats and you know, little green men running around than doing the actual hard job of sifting through, working out, like this is an investigative reporter, broken stories, one bloody Peabody's left, right and centre, you know, broken stories that have nothing to do with UFOs, but he happened to be in Nevada and that's down the fucking road. Like that is where they like test all of this shit or quite a lot of it, yeah? Just think about this. This is what Lou Alessandro says and Lou Alessandro used to be the the director of ATIP, which was a, a program, a US government program looking into all of this. And ATIP stands for Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And Lou Alessandro, he basically thought, well, 
you know, people in government aren't really taking this seriously. So the best thing I can do is to uh, basically kind of walk away from my job and uh, talk about this publicly. So that's, I mean, incredible that you did that. But that gives you a sense of the momentum behind all of this stuff. And Elizondo says, um, okay, number one, it's, it's our... Uh, it's from the US point of view the US is technology okay that's one explanation it's the US technology but if it is they're very very bad at communicating with each other because they've got their own jet pilots going and being confused by what it is that they're seeing do you know what I mean like none of this is public like it's private military <laughs> you know um, endeavours trying to work out what these crafts are going and trying to find out and, you know, recording the crafts. David Fravor, very good example of that, the Tic Tac, Google that, will you? And, um, you know, so if it is US um, technology, you'd kind of think that they're not going to waste, like, precious time and money and energy, uh, like, wasting everyone's time, like, chasing their own technology. And then you think, okay, well, maybe it's Russia or maybe it's... North Korea, maybe it's China. And then you think, well, is it really possible in this world, you know, everything we know about uh, how we're kind of tracking everyone all the fucking time, is it really possible that somewhere on the planet a country has made advances that are so great, so much greater than is possible? You know, not just a couple of generations greater, but hundreds of years in terms of an advancement in technology. Doing that and nobody else having a sniffer that it's happening. I mean, that is not, really, that is not possible. I mean, just think about it. It's, like, not possible. So if it's not those first two, then you have to start thinking about other things, yeah? And like I keep saying, like, in any other area, you'd have a bit of an open mind about this, yeah? Of course there's going to be that, like, percentage where it is weather or whatever, like a fucking balloon or whatever, or that people are trying to kind of monetize this situation and trying to, you know, pull a fast one and they're just lying. You know, there's a lot of sick people out there, people with lots of time on their hands and they just want to be part of the story. There's, to there's no doubt about that. Of course, with mediumship, that happens all the time, mediumship, you know, and I'm yet to be uh, persuaded that the vast majority of those people aren't basically just con people who are, um, you know, manipulating, grieving families and, you know, grieving people at the worst time of their year. Like, I'm totally not persuaded about that whatsoever. But if you look at the evidence when it comes to UAPs or UFOs, it is, you know, th th there's definitely something there. There's definitely something there. And it's beautifully summed up by the phenomenon. Right, thanks for listening. See you later.